Nathan Mergen is the chef owner of a restaurant called 107 State. It's located in Madison, Wisconsin. He is a classically trained chef who also happens to have uh, picked up a ton of management experience. Over the years, he's become a very good friend of mine, and so I know what a big deal it was for him to finally open a place of his own. 107 State opened right in the heart of Madison in the summer of 2019. Uh, They were going through that first year, really picking up steam right when the pandemic shut them down. And since then, they've been dealing with all the same stuff you've been dealing with uh, regarding COVID restrictions. So opening, then closing, then opening, then closing, and, and capacity restrictions. I interviewed Nathan way back on episode number 30 of this show, and given the year he's had, I thought it might be valuable to circle back for another conversation. There's a lot of great stuff in this episode, so I hope you enjoy. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. My goal is to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. For me, it's all about helping you think differently about your business and giving you the tools you need to implement this stuff right away. You know what I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now. Today's episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a website, e-commerce, and marketing platform for restaurants. Over 6,000 restaurants worldwide rely on Bento Box to drive high margin revenue and connect with guests through their websites. These days, of course, you need a stylish website, but you also need one that can help drive revenue. Bento Box understands that because they are a platform created exclusively for restaurants. I've worked on the platform and I love to recommend this platform. You can get started by visiting getbento.com slash restaurant strategy. Listeners of the show will receive 50% off their setup fee when they sign up by March 29th. Again, that's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash restaurant strategy. Now, before I get to the interview, I want to make two quick requests. Last week, we launched our Patreon page along with a private podcast called The Daily Special. It is available only to the Patreon supporters. There are all different membership tiers, but for just $5 a month, you get to support the show and you get access to that new show. Again, the site for that is patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. The link is in the show notes. And then, of course, I also want to remind you to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes just a couple of minutes, and it really does help boost us in the rankings. If you've gotten something out of the show, please just take a few minutes and go show your support. So uh, this week, I am thrilled to be able to welcome Nathan Mergen back to the show. Uh, If you've been listening for a while, you will remember that uh, I interviewed him on episode number 30. Uh, He is the chef owner of a place out in Madison, Wisconsin. It's called 107 State. Uh, And way back then, uh, he was still in the very early days of opening his restaurant. And we were talking to him about, you know, uh, just getting things up off the ground, finding an audience, uh, you know, building a profitable restaurant. And in the time since, uh, a lot 
lot has changed. Obviously, the pandemic hit, and I thought he would be a valuable resource to us to talk about uh, what it's like to go through the first year or two of a restaurant's life and to have uh, faced uh, something like this pandemic. So I'm thrilled to be sitting down with him again. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Happy to be here. I uh, I do love talking with you. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to that first episode, um, I think there's probably some value in it uh, because uh, we don't have the... Um, we didn't have the uh, uh, the luxury of uh, foresight back then and, uh, you know, good ideas. And we were talking about things that, that hardly even matter. It seems like they hardly even matter anymore, especially in light of the last, you know, nine months, what we've been going through. Um, but I would urge everyone to go back and take a listen to that episode because there's some, some really good stuff there. Um, and, and I think it'll help give you some context to the conversation uh, I hope we're going to have today. I have very little prepared for this interview. I really just wanted to have a conversation. Uh, as I explained back on that episode, and I will explain here, uh, Nathan uh, and his wife, Michelle, have been uh, very, very good friends of ours uh, for a very long time. Uh, they used to live here in New York City. We had gotten to know them here. Uh, we had kids right around the same time. We you know, we, we definitely went through some like life stuff all together. And uh, now they live out in the Midwest, and uh, yet we're still uh, really close. We still keep in touch. And uh, so I'm um, I'm excited to be sitting down and talking about this. Um, Nathan, how has this pandemic been? Well, you know, it's it's a little challenging to say the least. We're all in this rather large boat together, and the pandemic has been. I look at it this way. I I try to look for inspiration during this process, and then at the same time, it's I try to embrace the reality of it, which is the awfulness of it to make sure that I stay present through everything. Because if you, if you dwell on the past or if you try to look too far forward to the future, I think you wind up going around in circles. So that's kind of the way that I look at it right now. Everything has to be, how do I inspire myself? How do I inspire other people? And then how do I stay present to make sure we don't alter our reality to something that's not going to be up no an, an expectation that won't be made yeah and I, I don't want to spend a ton of time or i don't really want the pandemic to be the focus here it's just impossible to ignore um i think it's a really good point you bring up because you know as an operator you are responsible uh for the people you serve uh for the people you employ and of course uh to your family who um who you are providing for um and and i think that's been an additional stress while while everybody has you know, kind of borne a certain amount of stress through this, whether it's worrying about, you know, health or worrying about a paycheck. Um, you also have the responsibility of worrying about, you know, people, other people, not just your, you know, immediate family. No, that's true. I got an 84 year old, you know, mother slash grandma who, you know, is, is a huge force in my life and an inspiration as well. But at the same time, she's part of my bubble. So I got to figure out how I protect myself here at the restaurant. And at the same time, help take care of the things that she needs to get done. Uh, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. So uh, if I can, uh, let's go back a little bit. And uh, right before we hit record, I was just asking Nathan to kind of refresh my memory on some of the the details here, the timeline. Um, uh, but 107 State is uh, is out in Madison, Wisconsin. It's like two doors down from the Capitol. It's, it's you know, right in the middle of everything. Uh, it's a cool little space. Um, they found the space back in April of 2019. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you opened in June of that year. Um, my wife and I uh, got to go out and visit the space in October of last year. And uh, it's incredible to think everything that's changed in a little over a year. Um, 
talk a little bit about uh, about the impetus to open the place. You know, what was you know what was the original concept of the place, and then what did you learn about the place just through you know that first you know half year or that year almost uh, before the pandemic hit. And then can you talk a little bit about what you learned through the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like the the place kind of fell into our lap, like when we first got it. It was something that my business partner called me up and he said, hey, what would you think about this space? And I knew that the space had some challenges because our kitchen is extraordinarily small. And I'm like, eh, okay, we'll figure it out. So we developed concepts and we argue about a bunch of things. Then we finally settle on you know, what we're going to do with the space. We're like, okay, let's open up what we consider to be uh, what I would say is a, a, a tavern, modern day tavern, modern day Wisconsin tavern, because we, I wanted to bring a little piece of New York back to Madison. I feel like service overall uh, in a lot of places in the place that I live in is not really something that's paid attention to. And I really wanted people to understand that we were going to focus on service and we were going to deliver that first, almost more centric than anything that was going to be on the menu. So that was kind of the, the inspiration for it. And then it was kind of funny because originally when we opened up, I fought my own talents because I, I was like, we have, we already have an Italian restaurant down the street from us that's pretty highly rated and very popular. And I'm like, I don't necessarily want to compete with them. But as the, as we kept on going, as we kept on moving forward, I couldn't deny the fact that I was talented at Italian food and it slowly started to creep into uh, the vernacular of the restaurant. And I put on one pasta dish, then I put on two on the menu. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, there's six and we continue to evolve on that level. And then now we're directly competing with what is the popular restaurant down the street. And that's kind of how it evolved. I started out doing smoked things, even though I'm good at it. Like I just could never really can like connect with the public on some level with the original incarnation of the restaurant. But as we moved forward, like once people came in and had cacio pepe for the first time, they were like, Ooh, this is interesting. So then I just kept on creating more and more and more. And now we have become what I call a modern Italian, or excuse me, a modern Wisconsin tavern with, Italian. That was the interesting thing when you guys first opened. And I remember having conversations about this. You were, you know, we talked a lot about like, you know, what's your point of differentiation? Because the space is really, really cool. It's really dramatic, really tall ceilings. Um, it's got these these booths that run along the left side when you walk in. And they've got these kind of tall dividers uh, in between each one, which is uh, which is really unique. It's, um, uh, you know, it's a definitely a defining characteristic of the place. Um, the bar is kind of curved. It's got this kind of, you know, strange shape. Um, there's this big window uh, across the front. And yet you guys covered it with... Uh, these blinds, you know, to almost make it, you know, you, we talked a lot about it being like like a hideaway, a speakeasy. Right. Um, you were kind of, you know, you were kind of taking um, taking a page from Minetta Tavern, which if anybody knows here in New York City, down in the West Village, there's a place called Minetta Tavern. Uh, it's one of Keith McNally's places, and it's on the corner. It's very prominently uh, located. It's impossible to miss the place, and yet... Um, you can't really see in. You don't know what it is, and it's got this kind of speakeasy hideaway feel, like a like a private club. Like you got to be brought there by somebody else. Um, you got to be in the know. And this was definitely something that you guys tried to capture and bring, which I think you did beautifully. 
um, when when you opened uh, when you opened the space. But we were trying to define, you know, what how the menu kind of goes with that, and and what it has to do with Wisconsin, and what it has to do with New York, and and what it has to do with the speakeasy thing. And it's interesting to watch you kind of just pull back, um, come, you know, pull back to center, find your true north, the stuff that you do really well, the stuff that you're really passionate about, like the like the Italian food, like the pastas and stuff like that. Well, no, it's true. And what I discovered is that I I can't cook for anyone else other than myself as I go forward and as I learned through the pandemic, the initial part of the pandemic is like, I have to make things, I have to cook foods that I like, otherwise I can't have them on the menu. And I think that trying to cater to the public means something on a certain level, but at the same time, I think it's a really small part of the equation because I learned a long time ago when I heard Lydia Bastianich, after she tasted something in the window at Becco, she said, all right, that's the way I like it, so this is the way the public will like it. And there's a huge amount of truth to that statement because if you're not like if you suck at cooking you may strike gold somewhere but if you don't like what you're doing and you have a dish that's popular i mean i guess i don't know i think people often overthink things but finding my voice in the kitchen was like all right how am i going to challenge myself like that's where the pastas came from that's where the antipastas came from and then when the pandemic hit that was like, at first, it was so awful. You're sitting there looking at your space, and it's empty, and you're going, I don't know what to do. And then you have a concept that's not designed for takeout. So, you know, through listening to your show and uh, really getting creative on different levels, you know, then we created ghost restaurants. And that was very important because all of a sudden we were bringing in $1,000 or $2,000 where we weren't bringing in anything. All that was very important. And getting to that point was the hard part. But I mean, I created the burger lab, which is on a delivery engine. I created the pasta bar, which is on a delivery engine. All of a sudden things started to click. Yeah. So I want to stop you right there. And just because I think this, this brings up a really important moment in the evolution of uh, the restaurant. Cause I can remember talking to you also right around when the pandemic hit and you were like, I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we should be doing. I don't know. And, and we had conversations about this, not that I had any uh, great insight to provide, but uh, I tried to just be, you know, a, a sympathetic ear, a sounding board. Uh, but I remember when you started talking about this this ghost kitchen idea, and obviously we had been talking about it on the show. Um, it, it was one of the things, not that I was suggesting everybody do it, but just that to understand that there was some freedom there, that like you don't have to do your thing. You can offer something on the side that's off brand, that that's something else. And so you started the burger lab and I remember, you know, you started doing, you know, uh, introducing, you know, X, Y, and Z burger, A, B, and Z burger from the syndicate and, you know, from the pasta bar. And you started doing these things on, uh, you started putting them onto social media. And I was like, what is this? What is this? I remember texting you and be like, what is this? And you said, hey man, I'm just tap dancing. Just got to keep going. And and this is what I'm doing. Yeah, pretty much. But, and we'll, it we'll bring this full circle, but now... The menu at 107 State, which is the restaurant, which is this tavern, is now almost entirely focused. Now, nine months later, the main thrust of the menu is burgers and pastas. Yes. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of had to go a long way out of the way to come back to where you know to to where you really wanted to be. That that you had to kind of let yourself off the hook and just do this over here. 
and and that helped you figure out how to incorporate them back onto the menu and, and now that is the thing right um it was very interesting to me to go through this process and i'm like okay so i i'm never gonna sell what i'm selling on this menu currently but i know that burgers in this town that i am in you know, madison wisconsin will sell and if i take really good pictures of them at the same time every day when the light comes in the window i will get something that will look good and i can post it and i can keep posting it and i think people will respond to it and then i'll start you know i'll make videos of pasta i'll take pictures of pasta things that people haven't seen here i did a duck leg ragu a little while ago and people were like wow this is crazy and I'm like, no, it's not. It's just really good. That's all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, all of it's a very simple process. It just takes time because the duck leg ragu, because of the method that I have doing it, takes about a week to to week and a half to make it because I cured the duck legs for a week. Doing this and putting this all together, like I can't eat any more burgers than I did back then because it was like I'll take the picture and then I'll eat it. And I'm like, oh, here comes my COVID-19 as far as weight goes. <laughs> but that was what it was. I just kept on looking for uh, a voice and I kept on looking for something, a, a narrative. And the syndicate was funny because it came from one of my regular customers who would always ask the question. So you get stuck on a desert island. What is your favorite cut of meat that you will eat for the rest of your time on this des desert island. And I'd be like, well, if I'm stuck on a desert island, why is it a cut of meat? He goes, well, the syndicate will provide all the fixings for you. And that's where that, <laughs> that's where that started. I was like, all right. And it's funny because as we emerge out of, you know, as we look forward, I should say, we're not emerging out of anything yet, but as we look forward to the vaccine and maybe uh, a slightly more normal life going into the next few months, I'm starting to kind of navigate away from the syndicate and I'm starting just to say, okay, this is the restaurant now. This is what we are. You know, the narrative got me here, but now I, I, I get the sense sometimes, like for instance, when I put together an Instagram post, I can tell how saturated the public is with my post based on how many likes I get. Because if I post every day for like seven days straight and then all of a sudden I make a really nice video of a piece of food that looks awesome and I post it, and I only get like 16 likes, I know that people are tired of listening to me. So then I'll take a, a step back for a couple of days and I won't post anything. And then I'll post again and all of a sudden I'll get 98 likes because they'll be like, Ooh, okay. So there's, all, there's also time of day issues and things like that when it comes to you yeah. know, posting things. But that's what it was. I just kept on looking to figure out how I was going to express myself during this because you know, you're sitting in an empty restaurant and it's awful. And you're sitting there going, how do I occupy my time without going crazy? But like I said in the beginning, it's like, how do I inspire myself? How do I inspire the people that I work with? And, you know, I, Eric Repair was on a podcast and he wakes up every morning and he goes, how do I, he, he, he thanks, you know, the world that he's alive. And then he asks himself the question, how do I, how am I going to inspire the people that I work with. How am I, how am I going to inspire myself? And I kind of took a page out of that book because that's that's a good way to start the day. Yeah, absolutely. So, so at the beginning of the pandemic, everything shuts down, and you got to pivot to takeout. And your answer is doing this burger lab, and um, and the pasta bar. And so you are playing around with different ideas and all of that. 
Um, I guess it's also worth mentioning at this point too. So I'll back up and say that the, the thing that really emerged through this pandemic and watching you and your family kind of navigate this and, and watching you figure out what that meant for your restaurant is that it helped you figure out who you were and what you wanted to be. And, and you've kind of said as much, right? That, you know, you love Italian cooking. It's what you've got uh, a real skill for doing. And why would you not bring that to people just because there's another Italian restaurant in town? Um, because there are, you know, thousands of thousands of Italian restaurants in town. But um, that shouldn't keep us from from doing it if, if it's what we're passionate about and if it's what we, what we think our audience wants. Um, that there was something about identity that became really clear in watching this, in, in watching the way you navigated. Um, so now I, what I was going to say is that uh, in the middle of all of this, um, of course, at the end of May, beginning of June, uh, we had the uh, the death of George Floyd and uh, Black Lives Matter. And you guys had a lot of protests right outside all around the state capitol, which is two doors away and you boarded up your windows, as I'm sure most of the other businesses down there did. And what happened is you invited people to make art on the plywood, right? So people are doing street art, murals, and it's all done up. Now, everything kind of settles after, uh, you know, after a week or so. And people start taking down their, their plywood. And you decided to bring them inside and display them in the restaurant, you know, in solidarity, in celebration of, in acknowledgement of, and it added this really cool other texture um, to to the place. You know, both aesthetically, it was uh, it was really cool, really beautiful. Uh, I posted the picture that you had posted. I, I reshared that to my to my feed because I thought it was so special. Um, but again, it was like you know, true to your identity, and just kind of helped focus again on who you are and and who you're serving and, and why you're there and. You know, as if to say, like, you know, like we're here, we, we acknowledge this. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Basically, on the 29th of May, we had protests that started here. And like the restaurants themselves had just started to open. Like two weeks before, the city was like, okay, if you want to open up and be at 25% capacity, you can do so. We chose to wait a little bit and see how that was going to work out. And then on the 29th, we decided to open. And it was a beautiful day. We had the patio set up outside. We were ready to go. And there was protests that were happening, which was, you know, fine. That was, I, I knew it was going to happen. You know, there were a couple thousand people down on the State Street. They marched up State Street. They went to the Capitol. And then they marched all over the city in different parts of downtown. They stopped traffic. And it was, it was, it was exhilarating, exciting. And to be honest with you, at four o'clock in the afternoon, everything else had slowed down. The protest was over and I had nothing but families and people that were really happy and content with themselves. They were part of the protest. They were outside eating and everything had gone well. And at about five o'clock, I was like, all right, because I looked at my staff. We had I had two servers on and my cook. And I said, okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to go spend time with my family because you guys are all set. Clearly, we were using PPP money to pay the staff. I said, you guys clearly handle, you know, 14 seats, uh, keep doing the turnover. And I, and I was driving away and all of a sudden my bar manager, Scott, calls me up and he goes, uh, there's tear gas on the street. And I'm like, what do you mean there's tear gas on the street? And he's like, there's tear gas on State Street. I said, okay. 
here's a direct order. Get everybody inside. Don't worry about builds. I don't want to worry about that at all. Get everybody inside. Bring in all the patio furniture. Seal up everything. Fortunately, we have a back door. So I said, get everybody out the back door. And then let's move forward. Get yourselves out of there. So I tried to drive back, but the police had shut off the streets to the area. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go to my mom's house, which I was the original plan. I go to my mom's house and I'm watching all of this unfold on TV. And the camera is pointed at my restaurant. <laughs> and, there <Aww>. it is. <laughs> and I can see my staff looking out the window and I call them up and I'm like, you guys got to go home now. I told you at this point, you're a liability. Get out of the restaurant, go someplace safe. So we go through this process and we closed down for five days and you know, we, it was, we got the, my cousin called, like there was this huge push to get everything boarded up. And two days later we got boarded up. It was a miracle that nothing happened to the space because the stories that you heard were people were just walking by and breaking windows like indiscriminately. Um, I guess we were innocuous enough to not be, on anybody's radar or for whatever reason, we just got lucky. So we get boarded up and then we reopen and my a friend of mine from high school calls me up and says, Hey, my daughter would love to do your boards. And I said, all right, but I have to have a say on what goes on the boards. And she's like, sure. What's that? And I said, I want to see the words community, unity, and love. Said that anything that she wants to contrast with that is fine, but that's the message that has to, that's the primary message that has to be on the boards. And she was like, okay, we can do that. And they came down and they did the boards. They did a really beautiful piece. It's colorful. It's a tree. Uh, George, you know, Justice for Floyd is on it. I'm looking at it right now. Um, there's a large eye, you know, how, you know, it's kind of like the, the eye of the pyramid that we're all watching you and we're, we're, we're trying to see things better. Uh, and it became something of a symbol, you know, it's like, it's now I have it in the restaurant and when people come in, they see it and they go, Oh, these are your boards. And I go, yeah. And at the same time, when we had the shooting in Kenosha, the boards went back up. When we had the election, the boards went back up uh, at the behest of my landlord because he was worried that there was going to be, civil unrest. And I was like, I don't think there will be. So, but we did it. And, you know, they're, to me, they're beautiful pieces of art and they're, they're a living, breathing thing in the restaurant now that people come in and look at. Uh, they, it reminds them of a time, but at the same time, I think the beauty of them is a little inspirational as well sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think this whole idea of, of community, I mean, obviously uh, it was a, a really difficult summer, you know, exacerbated by the pandemic and all of that. Um, and, and watching that episode unfold out there and, and kind of how you handled it, I just thought that's beautiful. That's how um, that's how a business owner uh, serves their community, um, you know, tries to stay open, tries to give them the things that they need, keeps the community safe, reminds the community of community and uh, the power of of love and and all of that, and I just um, I thought it was again. Uh, I don't know that every business owner would have done what you did, and I thought um, it just showed it just showed a certain awareness on your part as to as to as to what you were doing, why you were doing it, and all of that. And it, it just seems to 
Uh, it seems to speak volumes to me. Well, and it was such a crazy time because I'll be honest with you, there was no darker time for me than the two weeks after the civil unrest started because it, it, all the questions that go through your brain when you're sitting there going, okay, I don't know what to do now. And nobody knows what to say. It was, it was like such a strange time. And like you're boarded up. So it's dark in your restaurant, your restaurant becomes kind of a jail cell on a certain level. But at the same time that in the back of my head, I kept on going, all right, how do you dig yourself out of this? How do you find a way to express how you feel through this? How do you feel? How do you think? figure out a way to to communicate the awfulness of what's happened but at the same time to understand that there is light on the other side of this we have to get to it and that's that's where you know if you go through my instagram history you'll see bits and pieces about that and while the restaurant is not a political place we made a couple of statements here and there that was really just about trying to understand what happened and then how do we get past it working with each other you know we had protests on the square every day for months and the capitol square and all of a sudden i'm 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 getting protesters in here coming in and ordering my food and you know that was interesting to me uh, because you talk to them and you realize and then you deal with the angst of you know the servers who are are stressed out and you're trying to figure out how to inspire them and uh, to me it's like all right all we need to be now is transparent all we need to be now is honest with ourselves and as long as we monitor ourselves be honest with ourselves and the guests let them know what we're capable of because that was the other thing coming out of this it's like you just open up you get a whole bunch of civil unrest all these awful things happen and then the other part of it is that some of the public doesn't even realize that how difficult this is i'm sure you've heard stories from other restaurateurs about you know guests having a level of expectation that everything is like it used to be you know but they don't realize that we're running with one eighth of the staff that we had when things were normal and if you drop your fork on the floor on the ground outside there's only one person to go get it (laughs) it's it's a totally different dynamic and then they're wondering why it takes five minutes to get a fork to you because you're dealing with all the other things that are happening as well. Um, I found that to be comical. I almost wrote an article about it, but I just, I was so busy with things. I could never get my head around it. I, I heard one gentleman go into a bar as he was dining outside and he goes, I need a fork ASAP. And he said this to the bartender who I know. And she looked at him and said, pardon me, sir. He goes, and then he like screamed at her. I need a fork ASAP. And, like you would think that the world was collapsing around him. And <laughs> I, I looked at him, I'm like, dude, take it. I, like I knew who it was too. So he didn't know who I was because I was wearing a hat and I was fairly incognito. But I looked at him and I said, take it easy with you. It's a fork, right? She'll get it when she gets it. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, sorry. I'm like, I don't, don't apologize to me. Just be nice to the lady. She's trying. So <laughs> like, it was just like, those were all the strange things. And then you would get together with other servers and you would talk about, like, I really think if somebody could dedicate the time to it, you could put a blog together and put stories about just the awfulness of customers that really haven't been affected by COVID on a certain level and, and on their business level, I should say, on a professional level. You know, they're working from home, they're doing their thing, 
but at the same time, they don't realize how difficult this is. Like, it's I am the only person in my kitchen. Like, that's it. Because I can't afford to pay somebody $18 an hour to do what I do. That's just, yeah. that's just not reasonable right now. Um, and that's what I, my old chef, like, when I brought him back, I said, I can give you 13 an hour. And he was like, okay. And then he, I'm like, all right, I'll bump you up to 15 an hour. But then once the first two weeks of September hit, there was like the automatic, you know, kids coming back to school, spike in COVID and everything slowed down. So he went somewhere else to find work because I, I couldn't justify having him there. I was like, well, this is, this is where we're at. And he goes, I will come back when it's time for me to come back. And I said, that's good. Yeah. And that's how we, that's how we parted ways. But there's been such difficulty getting through to this point. And now I think we're in a window to where, like, I have a bunch of goals that I haven't necessarily written down on paper, but like in my head, I, what I've discovered is that I have listened to a lot of audiobooks recently. I listened to uh, The Devil in the Kitchen about Marco Pierre White. I revisited uh, Danny Meyer's uh, Setting the Table, and I listened to Bill Buford's Heat. And like these three books have helped me kind of inspire myself and choose a direction that I want to set for the next six months, which is, all right, I'm going to start training people on becoming like working towards a Michelin star-esque style of service because I want to pursue that point. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to get a Michelin star. I don't think Michelin even reviews places in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> but if I can work towards a triple A rating or something else along those lines that can set a direction for us and give purpose to everybody here that works in the restaurant so that they have a shared goal as well, then that's the course that I want to take because dwelling on what's past will serve no purpose. It will not allow anybody to move forward on any level. Now, you know, the reality is, you know, we incur debt every month, like every other restaurant does because we're performing on a level that is, anywhere between 15 to 50 percent of what we actually need to make depending on how busy the month is yeah. um, and that's just the reality of it we are hoping that congress can get their stuff together and you know figure out a way to, to get the restaurant cares act passed because while the second round of ppp will be important for all of us to get through the next few months of the winter which is you know there's no question about that that will help it doesn't fix the problem. Like every restaurateur is taking on, like the only restaurants that are open for the most part are the places that have either managed their PPP money well enough to where they can, they, they're still afloat because of it, which I would imagine most places have already gone through it. Um, yeah. Or where ownership really has a stake in the place, you know, they're not just owners. Like if you're an owner and you don't know how to cook in your own restaurant, chances are you're not open. So, that's that's the where we're at here in Madison, and I just keep looking for, like I said, try to figure out how to inspire inspire myself. You know, my daughter and my wife are instrumental in this way of thinking, because I wake up in the morning and my daughter's like, "Come on, Dad, time to get up," and I'm like, "Well, she doesn't care. 
<laughs> you know? So I, she's going to get up and have a good day in a COVID era. So I got to figure out how to get up and have a good day in the COVID era too. Yeah, it does definitely put some things in perspective, right? I mean, I've got a, I've got a five-year-old uh, and, and he just like, his reality is his reality and it, and it doesn't jive with, I think, the overall reality that we're faced with. And yet it's, it's more real than, uh, than a lot of the stuff going on. It, it definitely helps ground me. Yeah, no, and it's, it's like, it's one of those, like, there was, we hit a point at one point where my wife and I looked at each other and she asked me the question, which was a dangerous question at the time. She's like, how do you feel right now? And this was probably about two or three weeks after the civil unrest started. And I looked at her and I'm like, that's a really loaded question. Are you sure you want this answer? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. And her and I, you know, had at it for a couple of hours just talking about how unfair the world is, how awful things are. But we got to the light at the end of that tunnel in that conversation and realized you know, we're still here. We still love each other. We are, we need to rely on each other more. And, you know, there was probably a time when the burdens of this world didn't allow me to rely on her because I wouldn't go there. I didn't want to put more stress on her. But at the same time, as you know, my wife, if I'm not relying on her, she's going to feel alienated and, and is going to be like, well, I, I don't know what to do because you're not talking to me. And then we went through this catharsis and it was healthy. It was good. So uh, all those little things add up to, you know, keeping my brain not necessarily quiet, but at least tuned so that I can address everything that needs to be addressed every day, regardless of what challenges are thrown in front of me. And so, it, and let's get, let's get, uh, you know, a little bit more specific, at least, you know, when it, as it refers to the restaurant, because, you know, the challenges that you faced uh, in the first six months of your restaurant are certainly uh, far from the challenges that you faced uh, over the last six months. I mean, obviously, every restaurant needs people to come in and eat uh, and and pay for what they eat. And th that's the same thing, right? We need revenue. We've got one main way to make revenue. Um but you know there are other there are other things that have you know that have popped up you know over the last little while like what have you learned through this um, that you're gonna like you can't move forward without right like for some people it's diversifying revenue streams like they just they've realized that uh, you know I only had one way to make money which is that if people come in and eat my food I'll make money and I know a lot of restaurant owners learned uh, a lesson about diversifying revenue streams and. Uh, certainly how they're, they're diversifying now is going to be different than what they're going to do in a year from now or five years from now, but they learned the lesson of diversifying. So, so talk to me about like, like what have you learned about business and your business and, and moving forward through all this? Well, the, I mean, the di diversification of the revenue stream is definitely that, you know, when we created the burger lab and the pasta bar and we put those on each street and they were, uh, they became popular because I knew that if I put something that was called Burger Lab or Burger Bar or something like that on a delivery engine, in this town filled with students, or maybe not filled with students at the time, however it worked out, um, it was going to work because people will always order a burger to go. Um, so creating those engines and getting those things going, that was something that happened. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, 
shit, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> You're like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta do work now because for, you know, the, the, like the moments when you're sitting there and all of a sudden 15 orders come in at the same time and it's just you answering the phone, doing the computers, cooking, cleaning. And you're like, Oh my God, this is impossible. There were nights when I had to have my wife come down and do the phones and the computers so that I could just cook. Um, but, yeah. but the, the main point that I want to get to when it comes to the management of this process is that I really have relied on my staff to look at, look internally and find ideas of how we can generate revenue through other sources, through other means. How do we reach more people? How do you, give me an example of that. How have you specifically, what did you guys do? How did you do that? Um, well, like for instance, there was a time a few months ago, my, my lead bartender presently is an artist and he is, I would say an aspiring fashion designer and, uh, painter and an artist overall he makes uh interesting pictures and he he makes t-shirts and, and hoodies and stuff like that and i said how do we reach more of the artist community because i've always kind of considered this place to be a bit of an artist bar because of our proximity to uh the overture center which is you know the big theater down the street um when uh, Hamilton was in town for a three-week run. When they got done, they came here and hung out. Uh, same thing with the Madison Ballet during the Nutcracker. Um, and we would hold, like, micro events with just a few people and say, hey, come down here. Um, you know, we're, we're going to listen to some music, hang out, and we'll talk about, you know, things that are uh, issues within your community. And how can we – like, you as artists want to reach more people, so how can – I help you do that. Can I provide you space for that? And every once in a while, people would come down and just hang out and listen to music. And we just try to reach people on a different level. Like there's like, for instance, uh, the gentleman I work with, his name is Adam. He's got a bunch of friends that have been releasing music during this whole time. And they would come down and have like a small launch party, um, you know, just to get together with people that were interested in it. And they would, you know, everything was socially distanced. Everybody's wearing masks and all the stuff that goes along with it. But every little bit, every person that you reach, every person that you connect with creates another connection. It creates another bond with something. And I think through all of this, that's really just what it is. It's like trying to figure out a way to connect with people and do it in a safe way to make sure. I mean, like, I'm bewildered with the idea that I haven't gotten COVID yet, which tells me that I probably had it at one point. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the reality of it. But at the same time, just finding every little way, like the woman that cuts my hair, she brings no less than one new person here every week. And <clears throat> she's, she's kind of, uh, she's a little eccentric, I would say, but, at the same time, she's she loves this restaurant so much that she's like, I need to get more people here. Um, and it's weird because I, there's no way to, to track it with any data or any kind of metric. But when you look at, like, for instance, we had, you know, 20 seats in the month of August. And we did $15,000 in sales, just shy of that, you know, 14 and change um, in sales for that month. When you... That's not bad when you think about pound for pound what you're doing per seat. But the reality is that, you know, you got a 75-foot 
or excuse me, a 75 seat restaurant with 75 seat taxes. So it doesn't measure up to anything. But I do feel like we've made more connections. We've got more word of mouth just through really paying attention to the people when they're here and working to make sure that that's, that's the goal. It's like, you know, being nice goes a long way. This is what I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about uh, in 2021 uh, on this show. And, you know, we talk about marketing, right? We, we, we talk about it. It's not some elusive thing. You know, marketing is figuring out what do you have, like what's your product, what's your service, right. and who wants that product or service. And we can do that one-to-many. We can do that one-to-one. Our industry has always been uh, about word of mouth. Word of mouth is the most powerful uh, marketing tool we have. Um, and to forego the grassroots stuff, the just telling one more person about it, just having the 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 person who cuts your hair tell one more person to to overlook that, uh, you know, in the face of doing you know other bigger like digital marketing stuff is is just crazy. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's all just about people feeding people and getting you know taking care of people. I think. Uh, I think that's one thing I really want to highlight uh, in the next year. And, and like you were just saying, just being nice. Just I want to put hospitality back into the hospitality industry. It's uh, too many people use it and don't really uh, practice what they preach. No, that's true. But at the same time, I will reinforce a lot of things that you've talked about on the podcast because like we got in touch with uh, Ferry Street Consulting. Lori is the person that we work with there. She redid our website. She got us into a position with MailChimp and all that stuff to do direct email. And for all the people that haven't taken the time to do it, do it because Chip's right. It works. It's really that simple. When you can reach people and tell them what you're doing and say, this is something for you, they will be like, oh, okay. Like, I think I would imagine you've probably seen the posts of the gigantic porterhouses that I dry aged and all that stuff. Absolutely. we sold out of those in 24 hours, and it was all through either direct messaging or direct email. Yeah, and, but here's the beauty, and this is what I want people to see, and and I'm a big proponent of that. I've been very outspoken about that. I think anybody that went into this pandemic and didn't have an email list, you know, really were, uh, were hamstrung. But that email list is still just identifying people who love what you do. So the email list is not some weird tactic or gimmick or, or cheat code. All you're doing by asking people for their email addresses is saying, hey, you seem to like what we're doing. Can we keep in touch with you so you can tell you so we can tell you what else we're doing? And they say that'd be great because you're right. I do love what you're doing. That when you collect a list of a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, whatever it is, you're just identifying people who love what you do. So the I, I, that and that's exactly what I mean is that I want to take the time and I want to make sure that we're really talking about what all these digital tactics really boil down to, and it can't be you know it can't be one or the other. It has to be both uh, because they're both uh, because they're both valuable. And it, underneath it all, it really is just about people. It's about identifying people who want what you have to offer. And so. Uh, that that's exactly what what I want for the new year. No, and I think that's correct. I think you know Danny Meyer said you know his pyramid of of the hierarchy is you know staff, guest. What was the there was four of them, but at the bottom of it was the investors. He's like the investors. We got to take care of staff first, so that we can eventually pay our investors and our our contributors. Um, but at the same time, you know you also have to keep in mind what 
Joe Bastianich told me a long time ago, which was anybody that doesn't understand that we're here to make money can leave the room right now. And that's, that's a, a true reality of the restaurant. But with both of those things being said, I can't think of a time in our world that really requires us to really be good to each other more than now. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, there's that old, you know, Zig Ziglar is this famous, uh, famous sales guru. He wrote a bunch of books and was famous for doing this whole, you know, like audio course. It was one of those old things, you know, you'd get it, you know, midnight on, you know, on cable TV. It was a collection of 12 audio cassettes. And he kind of got like a weird name all through the 70s and 80s. But uh, but he was absolutely right. And he was kind of the, the godfather of modern marketing. And famously, uh, he would say, uh, you can get anything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. Well, There's true. nothing there's nothing more true than that, right? Like, like if you help enough other people, they're going to help you by coming and buying your product, by coming back to your restaurant over and over again. And that wraps empathy and hospitality and generosity. Uh, it bakes that right into the pie of profit. Of course we need to make profit. The, the point of a business is to make profit. If a business does not make profit, there's no reason for it to be here. It's just a hobby. And hobbies are fine, but don't pretend it's a business. And right. so, yeah, it's gotta it's gotta turn a profit. That's why we charge more than it costs us to make, right? We figure out what it costs us to make, and then we charge more so we can uh, so we can turn a profit. There's nothing wrong with profit, um, but it's it's important to note that all of the other things do feed into profit and and are pretty uh, pretty integral. No, that's true. On, on the flip side of this conversation, I will say this much: I do think that this has given this this whole pandemic time that we're in has given some restaurateurs um, a little bit of creativity when it comes to dealing with difficult guests as well because there are times when things are are bad you're having a bad day whatever and you're trying to stay afloat mentally physically you're all just trying to keep yourselves going in the restaurant then you get the one guest who comes in and they're, they don't they don't get what's happening they don't understand the severity of this you know I mean for for all of those that are listening you're in the restaurant business I'm sure if you're not in the restaurant business and you don't understand how much of a crisis this is you know every time you ask the question how you doing to a restaurateur and they say you know we're hanging in there that is not even close to the truth of what this is so I always tell people be careful when you ask that question because if you want the answer I'll give it to you but at the same time, when you get a difficult guest, I think I've, I've seen some restaurateurs have more fun with the difficult guests because they're looking at it going, it's too hard to deal with your meanness. So if you want to go, you can go. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's I, I, there have been nights when I have almost gone up to people and be like, okay, I don't need you here, even though I do. But your attitude doesn't represent the attitude that I want to have in this restaurant. And I've always caught myself for the most part before I've said anything like that. I mean, I've said that to people in New York when I was working there because we, as a management team, had realized that this restaurant, this restaurant was not for them because they were too difficult to be there. 
Uh, that was a collective decision at the time. You know what? It's it's an interesting point, though. And, and now I want to bring it kind of full circle to what you said before. And you said, you know, you shied away from the Italian stuff in the beginning. And then you realized that that was really where your passion was. It's really where your, your skill set was. And, and you finally pulled in that direction, let yourself go in that direction. And you said... You know, I got to cook for myself first. And uh, if I like it, I got to trust that enough other people like it. Right. And embedded in that is this uh, is this acknowledgement that this is not going to be for everyone. It's it's one of the things that I say all the time. You know, your, your restaurant is not for everyone. The, the sooner you can figure out who it's not for, the sooner you're going to be able to figure out who it is for. And when you can figure out who it is for, you can cater just to them and you're going to get rabid passionate fans um and 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 that's the same thing with difficult guests right there is that up there's that thing right like i don't think i'm ever going to be able to make you happy i don't (laughs) think we're going to be able to satisfy you and and that doesn't make me happy uh nor does it make you happy and and i want you to go somewhere where you're gonna where you're gonna find what you want i don't think that's here you know i've said that uh, to plenty of people here in uh when i've been managing as well in new york city as well um, it's much harder to do, I acknowledge, when um, when you're running, uh, owning your own place, when you only have 20 seats to, to tell two of those 20 people that, that maybe this isn't for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand how <laughs> difficult that is. But it's all the same lesson, right? And and this is where we pull this conversation back to marketing, right? Like, like what like marketing is about figuring out what your product is and who it's for. And maybe it's not for that person and and by by you know figuring out um who you are you then figure out what your restaurant is and and who your restaurant is for i mean i think that's this whole lesson here um and certainly we talked about this before we uh hit record um it's been fun to watch the evolution of this and i'm sure challenging and and horrifying and and all of that but it seems like you're more you than you've ever been 107 state is more itself has a, has a stronger thumbprint than ever before, and and I'm excited to see, you know, what happens out of this pandemic when you can serve at a hundred percent capacity again. You know what that looks like when the university comes back full force, when the capital comes back full force. I think I think it's going to be really exciting to see you guys, you know, march forward. Really, uh, once you understand who you are and what you are. Well, and I, I agree with you, and I thank you for the the, the spirit of the comment. It's. It's like you know, what I try to do every day is make sure that we don't lose sight of we got to do the right thing first. Like, and whatever the right thing is is usually what is staring us in the face. So, keeping that in mind and making sure that we move forward with a a a plan of how at least on a on a on a basic level of how we're going to treat each other in this process and how we're going to grow together as a, as a restaurant. That's what I'm planning now. And I've already had the conversation with my barman, uh, Adam, and I've looked at him. I said, you know, we're going to talk about, as Danny Meyer would say, we're going to talk about gentle pressure that we're going to apply to you over the next few months so that we can get you in a position where you're going to lead this team once we get out of this. And he looked at me and he's like, okay. I'm like, this is going to be hard. I'm like, I'm warning you. This is not going to be easy. You are going to go, you're probably going to hate me at different times, but you're going to get detailed like you've never been detailed. But on the other side of this, if we get to this point on the other side of this vaccine equation, however it works out, we will have what I think will be not only the best restaurant in on state street, 
maybe the best restaurant in downtown Madison and possibly the city. I'm like, I'm, I'm done setting mediocre goals for what we, you know, think we need to do. We just need to do what's right and keep going forward with that. I think that's probably a good place to start wrapping up because uh, I'm, I'm very cognizant of your time and anybody who spends uh, a significant amount of time in restaurants uh, knows what a big deal it is to spend their day off uh, talking more about restaurants. Uh, so I want to be very... Um, I'm going to be very gentle with that. Um, when I lived in New York, what did we do? We got done with work and we went out and we talked about restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it's okay to not talk about restaurants. So I appreciate you taking <laughs> no, the time. I appreciate you that's taking true. the time on your day off to uh, to talk about restaurants. Uh, you know, the next couple of months, I think, are kind of like a treading water kind of thing. At least that's what I'm hearing a lot of restaurant owners talk about. They're like, you know what? I'm not going to make money. I'm just going to try not to lose too much money. Um, you know, some places are just closing up entirely until April 1st. Um, certainly right. here in the city, we're seeing a lot of places do that. You know, again, in New York City, they have to just kind of do takeout. Or if you've built yourself an igloo outside, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Yeah, listen, it's a it's a real thing. I'm like, oh, how um, romantic is that to sit outside? It's 28 degrees. I did see a post of some guy getting wine service in the snow the other day. And I was like, that is a guy I want to hang out with. So, <laughs> it's totally insane. And it was a, a restaurant owner with his staff. They were sitting in the snow having like pizza and fresh mozzarella in the cold. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I want to go there when I get out of this. <laughs> so, what is, uh, so what does the next couple of months look like? You know, are you guys treading water or are you – you know, actively pushing, where are you at? We are, I would say everybody in the downtown area of Madison is treading water. So like I had some, some of my regular guests came in here last Friday and we were at our capacity for our COVID conditions. Um, and she looked at me and she goes, you're busy. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. She goes, no, like every restaurant we go to has like five people in it tops. She goes, you're actually busy and you have people walking in the door waiting to get a table i'm like oh yeah this is a good thing but it's still impossible to measure she goes no but you see it right you see that there is possibly this window of optimism for you and i said yes so all we're going to do is keep treading water as we are we're going to fight the good fight that's what our narrative is we're going to keep fighting we're going to keep pushing to you know deal with our local government deal with the national government and just stay stay afloat you know i mean that's all you can do i mean do we incur more debt every day totally and if there's a restaurateur out there right now that says he's not that's amazing i'm happy for you but all you can do is that all you can do is just keep going and keep fighting and then hopefully you know if you're lucky you come out of this and you have a busy restaurant and then we can start paying all the debt that we owe and then we can start paying ourselves the money we invested into the place and maybe in a year we'll have a totally different situation i mean that's it or it won't work and then that will be it i think we're all i think we're all looking forward to uh the moment right and i hope it's like a first day of school kind of thing i was talking to a friend about this <laughs> said you know i hope it's like the first day of school and like all the restaurants reopen and all collectively we all agree to go to go out to a restaurant and all the babysitters are working on that day and we can all just have a great time. Um, I, I think, you know, 
as bad as it is for restaurants right now, it's the first place that everyone wants to go when all of this is over. Once everyone feels comfortable, that's what they want to do. People want to go to restaurants. People want to travel again, you know, see the world, see family, go to restaurants with family in new parts of the world. And, uh, and I, think it's a, I think it's a good thing to keep our eyes on as long as we can just tread water long enough to get there. No, I think that's true. And I think really just, you know, when, when things get hard, like I said, I, I think I've made this point a number of times. Try to find your inspiration. Try to find the voice that's going to allow you to set your own narrative as opposed to somebody else setting it for you. Because if you can work towards that, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I asked you a few minutes ago, you know, what you thought, you know, what you were hoping that people kind of come out of this with. And the thing that I hope people come out of this with, you know, owners, operators, managers, chefs, um, is... Um, creativity is a sense that they are or an acknowledgement that they are creative that they are capable of thinking outside the box of of rolling with the punches and pivoting when necessary i think um anybody that that has made it this far during this pandemic uh has certainly exhibited uh, creativity and that's what it is creativity is the ability to solve problems in new ways to to just say, well, that didn't work. What about this? Well, that didn't work. What about this? That didn't work. What about this? And keep doing that over and over and over again. And and if you can apply that to your business, to other aspects of your business, not just this, but you know, to I think you're going to be in in really good shape. And that's my hope for uh, for all of us is that we can acknowledge that and and keep supplying that for our businesses. No, I think that's true. And I also I, I do want to acknowledge my uh, landlord, the building owner, John Caputo who has been really an essential partner through all of this. When, when this all started, he gave us two months for free. Um, and we've negotiated a month-to-month lease right now that is uh, very helpful. And he's understanding, you know, and, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. I'm sure there's plenty of stories like that on the other side of the equation to everybody that's listening to this. Uh, and I feel for all the people that don't have that because I – I don't know how you'd be open if you didn't have that. So that is also, and that's so true. I think um, a lot of people's survival right now has been dictated by their relationship with their landlord. And I hope on the backside of this is that this has made uh, tenants that much more aware of the importance of uh, that relationship. That that you guys are partners, and, and I hope some of that starts to change. Uh, as we move forward, I hope it's not just, oh, that's the perfect place. We need that place no matter what. Um, but just really finding a fit, not only with the place, but in the personality of the uh, the landlord, the management team, you know, whatever it is, that that's, that that's a part of, um, of, any, of any business. Totally. 100%. Absolutely. Uh, Nathan, I, I so appreciate uh, your time. Um, where else can people go uh, to learn more about you, the restaurant, all of that? Um, well, we, our, our website is 107state.com. I mean, it's that simple. You can go there and you can join the syndicate, as we call it, and <laughs> get on our mailing list. Um, that's actually the prompt on the website. Um, and then follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I think we have a Snapchat account, but we haven't really utilized Look that. Look at you guys, so, so hip. That's, that, that, that's on my list of things to, to work on this coming year. Um, so, you know, those are those are the spots you find me. And, you know, I have my own personal page and um, Instagram and I I don't post a lot personally on Facebook, but the, the restaurant does. So uh, 
Excellent. And if you go to my person, if you go to my personal page on Instagram, you just see pictures of my daughter. So, <laughs> well, we'll include all the uh, the restaurant links, and people can uh, can seek you out if they want to see pictures of your daughter, who's really really cute. <laughs> but um, uh, we will make sure to include all those links in the show notes. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate uh, all the best to you, your family, your staff, uh, as you guys keep fighting the good fight. Thank you, Chip. It's always a pleasure, and best to your family as well. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I thought it would be helpful to circle back, see how Nathan and his team were faring. All of the links uh, that we talked about are in the show notes, including the link to our Patreon page. Again, if you've got five bucks to spare, please consider supporting this podcast and go get access to our new private podcast. It's called The Daily Special. Daily episodes dropping Monday through Friday, each of them five minutes at most. Until next week, stay creative.